morning, everyone. Um, welcome again to join us for our last Sunday for 2020 to worship together. You know, the scoreboard never lies. At the end of ninth inning on a regular uh, baseball game or at the end of fourth quarter and in an NBA game or in a two halves in a high school game, it doesn't matter what you say, what, what happened during the game. At the end of the day, when that scoreboard hits zero, the time hits zero, that scoreboard, whatever score it is, tells us whether we win or if we lose. Scoreboard never, ever lies. It was in Oklahoma. There was a scoreboard that read Hugo High 37, Millwood High 38. Millwood High won the game. But just four seconds before that clock hits zero, before the scoreboard tells us what the score actually, Hugh, Hugh, uh, Hugh High actually was leading 37 to 36 points with four seconds to go. And all they needed to do is to inbound the ball for the state championship and they will advance to the final round. All they needed to do is inbound that ball and then the, the person will hold on to the ball for four seconds and they will advance to the championship game. So here is, here is a Hugh, Hugh, Hugh High, and they, they inbound the ball to the best player, the best forward of the game. He was right underneath the basket. He took the ball, and for whatever reason, he decided to make one basket to make sure that they have the lead secure. He, was, he put the basket into, in, in the ball into the basket. They scored two points, and he was yelling and screaming, we won, we won, and all the while the gym was completely quiet. See, the problem was he scored on the wrong basket. For whatever is going through his mind, he scored the best, most talented player, scored the wrong basket, his own basket. And as a result of that, the scoreboard didn't lie and told us that Millwood High won 38 to 37. As a parent who have kids who love sports, as a, as a, as a man who loves sports all his life, I just cannot imagine how devastating that must have been for that young man. But it was not just for high school players, not just for kids. It happens in the professional level. One of the most played uh, blunder in the NFL film, it has to do with a pro bowler. His name is Jim Marshall. He used to play for the Minnesota Vikings. And as far as I know today, he still hold on to the um, record of having the most recovered fumble as a defensive player. Minnesota was playing against the San Francisco 49ers. Jim Marshall saw his friend, his teammate, tackle the 49ers player, the receiver, the ball. He stripped the ball. The ball flew onto the ground. As just like every other defensive player, they marched, they jumped onto the ball. And here is Jim, Jim Marshall picked up the ball and start running as fast as he can down to the end zone. A good 60 yard while looking behind, wondering, trying to get away from as many people as possible. He saw it at the corner of his eye. His teammates his, his, on his silent was yelling and screaming. They, he thought all along that they were cheering for him. That he recovered the fumble and go on to score a touchdown for the game. What, by the time he crossed that goal line, he swung the ball around only to realize he entered into the wrong 
end zone. Instead of six points for Minnesota Vikings, he ended up scoring two for the 49ers so that they can also get the ball back if you know the rules of American football. Both for Hugh High as well as Jim Marshall. Talented, talented players. Players who prepare to work hard. They play their hearts out for the game. And all that disappeared. It didn't matter because the scoreboard at the end did not tell the story of their effort. It tells them that they have lost the game. I share this with us because as we wrap our, our year, uh, wrap our 20, year 2020, I think there's a really important lesson that we need to learn. As we enter into 2021, perhaps you have goals, you have dreams in the midst of COVID that you want to see happening in your life, in our church life. I think there's a lesson for us to learn that we better be playing the right game so that the scoreboard at the end actually shows that we're winning. You see, just like the, the high school player, just like Jim Marshall, you can be the most talented. You can be the person who works the hardest. You can be the one who does the, does, did the most things. But if you're not trying to score for the right way, the final scoreboard will tell you you did not win. You can run down 60 yards cheering, thinking you're winning, you're helping your team, but at the end, actually, you end up hurting your team. There is a way for us as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, that we can be playing for the wrong score and only to find out at the end that the scoreboard tells us we have lost. I know Jesus won. I know that is the final chapter in Revelation. We know that Jesus will always, we know we will prevail. But my, my, my exhortation for us today is, make sure we're playing to win for Jesus. Or thank you, Kevin, for reading the passage early in a passage that are certainly very familiar for many, many of us. In Matthew 28, it tells us that final scoreboard. Matthew 28, 16 to 20, one that we've read maybe hundreds of times tells us that that scoreboard that at the end of time has nothing to do with our attendance, has nothing to do with our money given, has nothing to do with how great our worship center is, how big our building is, how big our church size is, has nothing to do with those things. While those can be very important things, the scorecard in Matthew 28, the last word of Jesus tells us that the scorecard is kept on whether we have made disciples. Matthew 28, 19 says, go and make disciples of all nations. That scorecard at the end is going to say, did you make disciples or did you not make disciples? If you fast forward to the end of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, Jesus gave us this picture of the victory, the final scoreboard. And what I want you to notice there is what is not there. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 says this, Jesus giving the apostle John this glimpse of the scoreboard at the end. And he says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and language, stand before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Again, I want to point to you to this text and what you see is, was not there. 
It does not say that at the end of the day, every church name will be, will be worshiping God. It doesn't say, how, we don't report the number of people showed up on Sunday. It doesn't report how, many, how much money I give away. But what it does record, the final scorecard, scoreboard is this. That people from every nation, every tribe, every language group will worship Jesus. And to ducktail back to what Jesus said in Matthew 28. The only scoreboard that matters for us in our lives, in our Christian lives, as a disciple of Christ, is whether we have contributed to bringing every nation, every tongue, every people, every language, so that one day in Revelation, we will see at that time when Jesus returned that we have contributed with one, bringing people and thousands upon thousands and thousands of people crying with loud voice, salvation belongs to our God and give glory to Jesus. That is the vision scorecard, scoreboard for Jesus. And the question is, is that the same scoreboard for you? Is that the same scoreboard that I'm playing for? As we wrap up this sermon series, we've been talking about the DNA of a disciple. And we've talked about different uh, six of them before. But today, what I believe is that it summarized best for us why we have those six things. This is fundamentally who we are called. And so this last journey we're going to talk about is moving from being a traveler to being a guide. That as a disciple of Christ, part of our DNA is we're not just traveling on this journey called spiritual journey and we wait to see Jesus. Part of our identity is not just to travel on our own, but be a guide to others that we travel along. That is the journey that Jesus has called us to be a part of. Not just hang out by ourselves, be inward focused, to do my thing with Jesus. But actually, as I'm doing things, my relationship with Jesus grows, I am to guide other people. You see, for many of us, we grew up in a Christianity that tells us that we're on our own with Jesus. We are so focused on a vertical relationship that we forget of the horizontal relationship. It's a really easy way to find out. All you need to do is this. Ask somebody how they're doing spiritually and watch. Watch they, how, how they answer that question because I guarantee you most people is going to answer this way. Whether they have read the Bible or not, whether they prayed or not, whether they've gone to church or not or on YouTube now or not, whether they attend a small group or not, whether they're part of a team to serve at church or not. And all those things, again, they are great. But all those things are directly uh, only tells us partially of the story that, that we're called to live out. You see, as travel is not just about me and Jesus, that I've done my quiet time, I pray to him, I give money to him, I've, I've served at his church. This is all a traveler agenda. A travel life only care about himself or herself. Very few people, when you ask them how they're doing spiritually, actually quantified by how they're doing and making disciples. I mean, when was the last time in your small group you talked about how are you doing spiritually? Someone said, well, I haven't really reached out to people to make an effort to make disciples. And we'll talk about that, what that means later. We tend to quantify our spiritual walk strictly as a traveler, but, as, but what Jesus tells us in Matthew 20 is that you are not only a traveler. Yes, we're traveling here on earth as we're awaiting Jesus to return, but we're also called to be a guide. You know what a guide is? 
guide is someone who comes along. When I think of a guide, I think of uh, the many Chinese tours that I've been on with my, my family. You know, that person with a little uh, visor, obnoxious red-looking flag, waving. Then you have this uh, a, team, um, a team of Chinese people with their cameras walking around. When I think of a guy, I think of a guy like that, a guy who comes and tell you the, the, the hotspot of, of this uh, country, the thing, places that you need to know the history, and they kind of spotlight different things for you. That person already been there. They've perhaps been there many times. They know the history. They know what's good. They know what good food there is. I remember this trip that we've taken with my family, uh, my parents, uh, before we have kids, and we're in Japan, and we have one of the best guys we've ever had. And she was so attentive to every family. She is so considerate. Everyone who comes on this, this trip with us, and he, she will show and explain and be patient. Uh, people are late, and she gently remind them to be on time. And even after the, the kind of group activities, she will approach each family, hey, what do you want to do later on? I can make some recommendation. These restaurants that you can try, places you can shop at. See, she's ahead of us because she's been there. She knows the place. She doesn't need to go through those places again necessarily, but she wants us to have a good time. She wants us to experience what she has experienced. She has some knowledge, but not full knowledge. Most of the time, the guys doesn't even live there in the country. Yet she was able to point out things, walk with us, even take us to go exchange money, take us to the grocery store. See, that's what a guide is. You think about it, for every single hero in a movie, there is also always a hero maker. There's always a guide that come alongside to help that hero. I think about Gandalf. Gandalf with Frodo. He needed to, Gandalf's wisdom to come alongside with him, but Gandalf doesn't actually go do it himself, get the ring himself. He's helping Frodo. For those of you a little older, I think of uh, Rocky Balboa. He needed Mick to train him, to yell at him, to push him. I think of Batman. Batman needed Alfred. Batman needed Alfred to give him the wisdom to guide, to come alongside with him. But it was Batman who needed to be out there to fight the evil. But Alfred comes alongside, drop these little uh, nuggets of wisdom to encourage him sometimes, sometimes to push him when he's not willing to do the things that he knows he should do. You see, that's what a guide does. And Jesus said, your scoreboard and my scoreboard as a disciple of Christ is not just staying as traveler, but to go and be a guide. Particularly in the language of Matthew 20, he said, you need to go and make disciples. So what does it mean for us to make disciples? What does it mean for us to be a guide for those uh, who are come, that are f- uh, fellow travelers with us? those who are non-believers, those who are believers, how can we make disciples from among the lost? Matthew 20 gives us two simple things. Simple but profound things that we're called to do. If you look at Matthew 28, verse 19 again. The first thing that we do as a guide, and by the way, before I go in there, I want to comfort you. Because for many of us, when we think of making disciples, it's too hard of a task. But you will be surprised when we look at what it says here. It is not as hard as you think. 
And better yet, we'll see that God will equip us to do these things. But here are two simple things that God has called us to do as a guide. The first thing is this, Matthew chapter 20, verse 19, is to receive, help guide people to receive Christ as king. We're called to guide people. How do we make, go and make disciples first? We need to go. Second is we, there's a participle of baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, of the Holy Spirit. We are called to be a guide to help people to receive Jesus as king. Jesus does not have the intent here to just say the physical out, outward expression of baptism alone. What Jesus is getting at is we're helping people, helping people to surrender their lives to receive Jesus, not just as another God, but receive Jesus as their king of their lives. And that's your job and my job as a guide. But here's the problem. You don't get to convince people. You don't get to coerce people. You don't twist people's arm to receive Jesus as king. And all we can do, and what Paul said, wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, that we share our lives when we share the gospel. We show them what Jesus has done for them. We show them who Jesus is. And we show them in our lives how Jesus has been our Savior, has been our King. And as a result that we get to experience the fullest of life, the abundant life that Jesus has promised. And that's the first task that we're called to do. And for many people, we think of just evangelism. But more than just telling them the truth, we need to live out the truth. We're not just getting them to raise their hand and pray a prayer. We're helping them surrender, give up their own control of their lives so that they can receive Christ as king. That isn't it what baptism is all about? That they are proclaiming they're dead. Because they're dead, they died with Jesus now. Because Jesus is that we can be raised with you. We can have new life with Jesus. That's what it means for us to be a guy. That's the first thing that we guide others to receive Christ as king. But here's the second one. Not only are we to evangelize with our words, with our deeds, to help people receive Jesus as king, we're also called to guide people to obey Jesus as king. Here's where most people forget to read verse 20. That we tend to focus on telling, telling, proclaiming, proclaiming but not realizing that we, even though they have new life, born again life, Jesus said, your job is not done. You are continually helping those who, others who are learning to obey Christ as king. Your job as a guide is to help them. Look, notice what it says. It says, teaching them to observe. In ESV, in IV, it says obey. Observe is not just looking at it, pay attention to it, but really living out. So your job and my job as a guide is to help people to obey Jesus as their king. Not only do they profess Jesus as a king, we also call them to obey Jesus as king. This is why the body life here at the church is so important. You need people to help you to obey Jesus. I need people to help me to obey Jesus. So disciple making, making disciples is not just top-down uh, phenomenon and theory, but we're actually doing all, even on a very horizontal level that with one another, we are making disciples of one another. We're not just simply good friends hanging out because we, we're all Chinese, we're all Asians, we love the same food, we have the same interests. We are united because we are a disciple of Christ who profess Christ as our king. 
And so making disciples means not only do we help those who have not proclaimed Jesus as king, we also help others, one another here at the church, to obey Jesus as king. And those are the two things that God has called, Jesus particularly called us. You need to do that. That's your job as a guy. That's your mission in life. Everything we do in our church ought to point to those two things. Everything that we do, every day we wake up in the morning, we go to our job, go to our school. That, those two should be the, the, the two sides of the same coin of a mission that God has given to us to live out as disciples of Christ. That's what it means for us to be a guide. But here's the point that I, I want to I share with us and challenge us. It's because many times we can read and memorize Matthew 28 and yet forget that this calling is not for the few, the proud, for the select few of people. It was not just given to the leaders. It was not given to your small group leaders and not given to the deacons. It was given to every follower of Jesus Christ. This calling is for you as much as it is for me. You remember two weeks ago, we, we talked about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, how we are all ministers of the reconciliation of God to the world. God did not just choose some to be the minister. God did not just give this calling of making disciples to a few people. It is until we realize that every ordinary followers of Jesus Christ are called, every one of us is called to make disciples. Then we can see Revelation chapter 7, 9 that we read. Every nation, every tongue, every language group. It will take all of us to get that job done. Because for a simple fact that, that there are people that I will never get in contact with. Even through the internet. And even if I get contact with people, there are people that don't like me, that they may like you. People that don't want to hear what I have to say, but they want to hear what you have to say. You see, it is so important that every ordinary believers are, com are committing their lives to this mission of making disciples of all the nations. It's really interesting to, uh, in verse 16. One reason why I started, I asked Kevin to read from verse 16 it's because we easily overlook 16 and 17. And oftentimes when we come to the Great Commission, we start in verse 18, which is the, the, the popular part of, of the verse. But really in verse 16, there are, I want to make a couple observations for us. Verse 16 says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus has directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, and some doubted. First thing I want you to notice is this that all 11 disciples went to the mountain where Jesus called them. Remember, before Jesus was crucified, he only called three of them to go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with him. There are repeated stories throughout the gospel that Jesus sometimes spent time with the three, sometimes he spent time with a bigger group of disciples, but all 11 of them were called all 11 of them showed up in the mountain. All 11 of them, Jesus gave the command, the, the great commission, as we call, as commonly known, to all 11 of them. And so there's no excuse for any one of us who said, well, I, I'm too young. I, I'm not the disciples long enough. Jesus gave them all to all 11. But here's what's really interesting. Because you go to verse 17. It says this, when they, these disciples, saw Jesus, 
they worshiped him. And Matthew put this three, these three words in there to remind us almost purposefully to kind of shine a spotlight and says, but some doubted. So here's 11 disciples showed up in the mountain and Jesus was giving them, about to give them the great commission. They even worshiped Jesus. But Matthew, make sure we hear us all this doing says, but some doubted. And then you go to verse 18. Notice what it does not say. Jesus came and said to them. It did not say Jesus came and said to those who worshiped him, those who did not doubt. Jesus came and said to all 11 of them, including those who doubted the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You see, even some of them are still confused, looking straight into the resurrected Christ. And they are still trying to figure out in their own lives, how does this work? Jesus, I thought you were dead, but you showed yourself alive and you say you're going to go back to heaven, to heaven and you're going to leave us here. I don't, get all, I don't know how to put all these things back together. And some even doubted, is this real? Like, how is it going to work? Yet, yet Jesus said, you, you, perhaps doubting Thomas, I don't know, you, the one who's doubting, you, those who are doubting, you, the ones who are standing right here, all of you, go and make disciples of all the nations. I think for many of us, we have this misconception that we need to be ready. Many of us think, I'm not ready, whatever ready means. Some of us push back and say, oh, I haven't read enough of the Bible. I don't know the Bible enough. Don't mean to burst your bubble. The disciples didn't even get a Bible. You can go online, you version, get 30 copies of the Bible. Jesus gave them a great commission without giving the Bible. Some of them are going to write the Bible. So if, if you don't know the Bible, then why don't you just start reading the Bible? Make it a goal this coming year. Read the Bible so that you can go make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey all that God, Jesus commanded us. Some of us said, I'm not mature enough. I'm not mature enough as a Christian. Well, some doubt it. When's the last time you doubt it? If you doubt it, perfect. You fit, the, you fit the description here. I mean, just to remind us, Peter denied Jesus three times. All, one, all 11 of these disciples, they all scattered the moment they found out Jesus was arrested. Now, perhaps you have, you have done similar things. I don't want to assume. But that's not the, be- the most beautiful picture of a selection of people that I would entrust my plan of salvation, redemption in the world to, and yet Jesus called them. Some, some, some of us may say, well, I, I don't have enough experience to do this. I haven't done it enough. Just to remind us, again, disciples haven't even stepped out of Jerusalem. I mean, I can just imagine when they hear Jesus utter this, go and make disciples of all the nations. They're thinking, Jesus, I've never even been out of my own hometown. I've never been out of Jerusalem. I've never been to, been, been to uh, Rome. And you're talking about the world? I don't even know what that looks like. You're calling me to go make disciples into the world, all the nations. I can't even count on my fingers, 10 nations that I know. 
You see, the reason why we can make disciples has nothing to do with your ability, your knowledge, your intellect, and your experiences. It all has nothing to do with because Jesus tells us the reason why he called them to go make disciples is because of what Jesus had already given to them. You see, your qualification to make disciples has nothing to do with you, but everything to do with Jesus. Take a look at Matthew again. Matthew 20, Jesus, start, before he gave that great commission, he promised them this. He said, he, he reminded them, hey guys, all authority in heaven on earth, that's a whole lot of authority. I would, if I would go uh, give you the, the, the definition of, of, of the Greek word here, all authority, it literally means all. Like every authority in heaven on earth has been given to Jesus. And notice what Jesus said, go now, go make disciples of all nations. Now help them to come to, come to know me, help them to come to uh, receive me as king by baptizing them. But notice what it says, it did not say baptizing them in the name of the first Chinese Baptist church, St. Gabriel Valley. Baptizing them in the name of Ben, baptizing them in the name of Kevin, baptizing them in the name of Nathan. No, it was all in the name. And here's Jesus gave us the whole truckload the entire enchilada of his name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all of the power of the name of God. Three person in one day. He said, go make disciples, baptize them, help them to come to receive Jesus as king because you're going to do that in my name, all the authority, all the power that is in my name. So we have the name of Jesus. It's not your name on the book. Don't get discouraged. People say no to you. They're saying no, not to you. They're saying no to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have the name, a powerful name of Jesus on your side. But not only do you have the name of Jesus, the name of God, Jesus went on to say, you have the powerful word of God. Look at verse 20. Go teach them to obey, teach them to observe with what? With a commentary? With the, with, the, with the book that somebody else read? No, he said, teach them to observe all that I, Jesus, commanded you. Jesus said, I've given you my word. And even in the context of the disciples, they don't have the physical Bible with them. They have heard for three years long of what Jesus had taught them, lived out for them, and commanded them. And Jesus said, you don't need to use your own word. I have the word for you. Just stay close to my word, live on my word, and you will have all that you need to make disciples. You're not telling them to do something. You don't need to make up something to teach them. Teach them my word. Help them discover my word. Help them to obey my word. Read the word, obey the word. If you just do that, you're making disciples. And at the end, he said this, verse 20. Not only does he have to give us the name of God or live out in the power name of God, powerful name of God, the word of God, but also the presence of God. Jesus said, behold. I like to interpret that word, say, wow. Hello here, behold. Notice, pay attention. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus said, you'll never be alone. I think of when Peter preached to thousands in Acts chapter 2. 
I think of Peter, James, and John who put in a prison and counted themselves worthy to be persecuted like Jesus. They did not have that power to do that on their own. They can do all of those things simply because of the presence of Jesus in their lives. Think about, about the great apostle Paul. Once persecutor of our faith turns to be the proponent champion of our faith. Why? Because he has the presence of Jesus in his life. And it was not a one and, one and done presence, but it was a daily presence of God. And so here's what, why we're qualified to make this out was not because of me, but because as long as I live, I have the presence of Christ in my life. As long as I engage in the word of God and live out the word of God, I have the power of God, God in my life. And I have the name of God in my life because I also were baptized, was baptized in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. And if you are a true follower of Jesus, we have all those things. And that's what makes it possible or able to make disciples. That we can be a guide to our fellow travelers along the way, whether here inside the church, outside the church, those who know Christ, who don't know Christ. We can be a guide to one another and to those who don't know him because we have all these things. But here's what we need to do. We have to show up. We have to show up every day. I find it very interesting that Jesus could have totally given them this great commission anywhere else. But Jesus, in verse 16, uh, Matthew recorded in verse 16, that Jesus told them to go to a mountain. Look at verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Why did Jesus have to direct them to go to a mountain? I mean, Jesus showed up at the, at the lake shore cooking them fish and breakfast. He could have given them a great commission there. Why up in the mountain? Why a, a place? This is just my speculation. But one, one reason why I believe Jesus did that was simply because Jesus wanted them to show up. Doubts and all that they will actually have to pick up their feet, walk out of their house to go to that mountain, even with some doubts in their mind, and yet anticipate to meet Jesus. Jesus wants them to show up so that he can give them this great commission. See, he's going to cost them something. Making a commitment, making a step, multiple steps, thousands of steps, to go to that mountain. And the same thing I believe is true that Jesus is calling you and I, that we need to show up every day. We need to show up before the word of God every day. We need to show up every day to read it. We need to show up every day to live it. We need to show up every day to meet with Jesus because that is the engine for, by which we can make disciples. We need to show up with our own obedience so that we can go and make disciples. I am so thankful one of the greatest highlights this past year we've had in our English congregation is several brothers and sisters stepped up to start being intentional in making disciples. Brothers and sisters that perhaps they have, have not really made that to be the priority of their life, they start putting a lot more time, effort into making that to be the scoreboard of their lives because they realize that is the scoreboard of Jesus' commandment to us. And as a result of that, I see even through covid 
the people that they have touched and invested in, they've come to know, experience Christ even in a deeper way because of, of, of these brothers and sisters taking the step to make disciples around those who are among them. And sometimes he can feel, and for many of them, they're struggling through, through this process because everyone would like to think that, would like to say that they want to make disciples. But the reality is behind all of that, there are heartache, struggles, disappointment, and pain. And I'm so thankful that Jesus is walking through all these brothers and sisters so that they experience what it really means to make disciples. Because so often we are scared and overwhelmed by the word great in the Great Commission. Oh, yeah, it's great. We make disciples. Who, which, which pastor would say they don't want to make disciples? Which congregation would say, I don't want to make disciples. That's optional. No follower of Jesus would say that. But here's the reality. We get scared off the great, by the greatness of it because it is not only great in, in title. It comes with great challenges. I mean, I think about SGV. There's 1.4 million people who have yet to come to know Jesus as their king. We talked about in Missions Month, over 5 billion people, three, of, 3 billion of which are completely unreached and unengaged. When you look at those numbers, that's really, really overwhelming. You might think, what can I do as one person? And this is where I want to challenge you to show up every day before the Lord, show up every day with those around you and your family, because there's a saying that I've learned when I was in Spanish class. I don't remember much in Spanish class. I remember one short phrase. I, I also remember enough to order on a menu so I know what the good stuff is in a Mexican restaurant. But I remember this phrase, it says this. Poco a poco se va lejos. Poco a poco se va lejos. It means little by little, we go far. Little by little, we go far. We have a similar saying in, in English, right? Slow and steady wins the race. The point of that saying is simply that we don't need to worry about going far. If we just take that one step and one step and that one step. Instead of looking miles down, down the road and say, well, am I going to get there? The best way to get there is to start taking the next step or the next step show up the next day, show up the next afternoon, show up before the word, with the word of God, show up before the next, next um, obedience step that God had called me to do, show up with the next person that I see. Poco a poco le, se va lejos. Little by little we will go far. And if you're not convinced by that, I want to sh share with you this, this uh, illustration that's used probably thousands of times in, in multiplication. If you ever play chess, there's 64 squares on a chessboard. 64 squares in a chessboard. What I want you to do is this. I want you to imagine. Imagine you are on that first square. Just you. And you decide, decided that I am going to take Jesus' word seriously and obey it and come alongside one person to help that person to become a disciple of Christ. You might be thinking, I don't know how to do it. Well, we just finished our sermon series today. You can go back to the last, uh, all seven of these messages, keep listening to it. Prepare for it. And you can find on our link, you're also a, a resource page 
with extra verses on that page for every one of the DNAs. You can choose five DNAs for each one of this element of DNA. So that makes 35. And you just want to commit to make a meet with one person for 35 weeks. Go through what does it mean for this person to trust God, trust Jesus. Help this person to look at the word of God and obey. What does it mean for that person to connect with others, to serve sacrificially, to give generously, to stay soft-hearted, to obey God's word, to share with others about Christ, and help them to see the value, the call that they, Jesus, have on them to go make disciples. And you go through 35 weeks of that. <clears throat> and then next year, both of you, each pick up another person and do the same thing again. And you do it again the next year. Now you have four people and all four of you the following year go through uh, all 35 weeks again. And then the next year you now have eight. And what I want you to see on the chessboard is this. When you look at that board, you, what you see is that it multiplies exponentially. In fact, you look, one look at that, you see that it will take 21 years, 22 years, in fact, to reach 1.4 million people, which is, as far as what, we, what we've been uh, casting a vision of and reaching the SGV area, that, it will take 22 years. It seemed like a long time. But let's be honest, if, if 22 years is what it takes to reach the, our, our, our San Gabriel Valley area, I'm willing to give the next 22 years. If it really means you can reach SGV for 1.4 million people, so it is doable, even within my lifetime, your lifetime, with all things being equal that we will stay alive for 22 years and we're making disciples, we will reach over 1.4 million people. But here's what's amazing. Remember, we have about 7 billion people in this world. Over 5 billion of them don't know Jesus. They have not received Jesus yet. And 3 billion of them I've never even heard of Jesus. But if you continue on doing this process through the church, you know what it will take? It will take about 34 years to reach 8 billion people. 34 years. Again, you might be thinking, that's a long time. Some of us who are older might not be alive by then. But notice the gap of years. It took 22 to reach 1.4 million, but only need 12 more years to reach about 8 billion people. You see, it takes it's a lot faster as we continue to do this more and multiply in one particular. So it is totally possible for us to make disciples of 8 billion people. But the question is not whether it is possible, but whether we're willing to do it. Do we take this calling seriously? And I believe in COVID, the church is being awakened just the possibility and the necessity of each one of us living out as a guide to those around us. Gone is the time we can just re recruit people, invite people to the church. If anyone wants an excuse not to show up for church now, now is the time. Well, COVID, I can't go to church even though you mean indoor, I don't feel safe. And if it's online, they can totally check, check out while they're watching it. But one thing we can do is for every one of us to show up in their lives consistently, daily, praying for them, 
asking God for opportunity to ask them to discover Jesus. Share with them what's going on in my life that Jesus has done in my life. How Jesus has given me hope and joy. And we can all do that. And I really believe as we commit to do that, we can bring people to walk through the seven DNAs. You can, you can do that from the youngest junior hires to the oldest person in our church. We can all do that. If you don't know how to do that, go back. Listen to the sermon five times. Look through those passages 10 times. And if we all are committed to do that, be a guide to someone. What we saw on that chessboard can totally be possible. And this is not an option because this is the scorecard that Jesus has for us. At the end of time, the game is won whether we have made disciples. And so that's what we're committed to do this next six months in our church in the new year. We want to help all of us, myself included, to walk with Jesus, to learn how to invest in relationship around us. We want to truly be transformed from the inside out so people can smell, hear, and tell that we belong to Christ. And we want to help each one of you to share your testimony, how to leverage for gospel conversation, and all those good stuff that we can help to make disciples of all the nations. Let me end on John 15, the last verse on John 15. It's our church theme this year, John 15. John 15, 27, Jesus ended that chapter saying, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Our purpose, our mission is to bear witness for Jesus. To be a guide. To make disciple. Who makes disciple. Who makes disciple. Who makes disciple. Who makes disciple. That we long to see in 34 years. Not even a full lifetime. We can see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That we can see every nation. Every tribe. Every tongue. To confess and cry out salvation belongs to our God. And the question is whether we will take this call seriously. And show up every single day. To be a guide and make disciples among all the nations.